Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. Good morning on a beautiful sunny day on my studio in Fort Collins. And uh, you know what? It's going to be warm today. It's in the 90s. It was in the high 90s up here yesterday. But things are changing. You can tell. You know, Karen and I have been known to sit out on our patio and enjoy a glass of wine after dinner. And it was just a few weeks ago that if you went out there, you know, early in the evening after dinner, it was still really hot. You could feel the temperature. But now you can get out there at 6 o'clock, and it's already cooling down. The nighttime temperatures, I think we're in the low 50s at my house last night. The mountain temperatures are in the 40s. When we're seeing these nights cool off like this, and we're going to see the daytime temperatures start to cool very soon also, but still be very comfortable, it's, there's a change going on. It signals to me it's one of my favorite times of the year, and that's fall fishing and hunting. You know, when this weather cools off, it triggers animal activity in these cool evenings. The water gets cooler. The fish get in a whole different state. Different types of fishing come about. People who were fishing are hunting or they're in school or watching sports. There's less people on the water and some of the best fishing of the year. We're going to cover all of that today. We're going to tell you how to get out and do some of the hunting that's going on right now. We're going to talk a lot about fishing. Also, follow us on Facebook at Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. We are about to, um, I've gathered up some prizes. We're about to start doing trivia again, and we're going to do the new thing. We're doing question of the day. And we've got some great prizes to give away, valued between 50 and $100. And typically you'll find the answer on our Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, the week before we ask the question. Now let's go to the phones. And joining us from the Blue Quill Angler is Chris Steinbeck. Good morning, Chris. Hey, good morning, Terry. How are you? I'm doing well, and don't you agree? We are just heading into uh, one of the best fishing times of the year. I mean, we had kind of a rough go about fly fishing in a lot of places. You were fortunate. Your home water, the South Platte, I know you fish other waters, was a lot better than a lot of places, but a lot of places really struggled with the heat and the low flows, and we kind of got in a little of the doldrums on the lakes for the other fishermen, but this changing water, changing uh, seasons is really going to, I think, kick things off, don't you? Oh, I couldn't agree more, and I love this time of year. Um, you know, the summer months, I live for the summer, and I love the summer days here in Colorado. But as we get in the fall and those cold mornings happen and you start wearing a sweatshirt in the morning, um, that's going to help us out so much this year in terms of water temperatures, and getting the fish moving, getting the fish active, and and we're coming up in the fly fishing world as in um, other fishing as well. But September and October are just great months to get out there and keep fishing. So tell me a little bit about what you're seeing out there. And then let's talk a little bit about how that's going to change over the next few weeks. Yeah, you bet. So um, as you mentioned, you know, we've been spending a lot of time on the South Platte. Uh, the flows have been pretty good. They dropped them down last week. And so out of Cheeseman Reservoir, we're looking at about 175 CFS. Um, and to put that in, you know, relation for you, it's about um, an average flow, a little below average for this time of year. Um, you know, what we're starting to see is a lot of our fall hatches starting to come up pretty thick. Um, 
a lot of our rivers here in Colorado, we see in the fall time a mayfly called a trichohatchin. Um, and those guys right now, whether you're down at Deckers or up on the Dream Stream, um, up on the Colorado River, those hatches are so thick right now. Um, and it's usually one of the first good hatches besides the midges in the morning. So about 9 to 10 in the morning, you look up in the air, you'll see clouds of these trichos. Um, and Terry, another great thing right now is this is terrestrial time where we get to throw a lot of hopper patterns and beetles and ants and, um, you know, hopper fishing all over the place, especially up on the dream stream and in South park, where you get those big hay fields. I mean, it's just, it's hard to beat that. And so we're kind of still in those last few weeks of summertime right now. Um, still seeing, you know, some hot days, high pressure days. And, um, I think that's probably just about two, three weeks out from, changing pretty drastically yeah and it's going to get better and better i'm glad you mentioned the hoppers because to me that's one of my favorite ways to fish and i've been out fishing some ponds and some streams myself this year and there's it's been an the weather led to an abundance of hoppers and i love hoppers you and i have you've heard me talk about this before uh, you know for especially if we've got a lot of new people in fly fishing a hopper dropper setup gives you so much forgiveness when you're fishing. If you don't make the most delicate cast and your, your, your presentation splashes down a little bit, that's okay because that's how hoppers end up in the water. If the drift isn't exactly perfect, that hopper a lot of times is trying to swim to save itself in the water. And now you've got that. And the link, even the links of the dropper, don't you think that, I mean, you need to adjust it depending on the depth of the water. And, of course, you can, the more in tune you are with the right depth, the more you'll catch fish. But you have a lot of forgiveness there, too, because a lot of times it acts almost more like an emerger. Oh, big time. Big time. I mean, you said that so perfectly because with that dropper, a lot of times we'll keep it 18 inches, 24 inches off the hook of that big dry fly, whether it's a hopper or a different dry fly. And then you cover a lot of the mid-water columns. You know, if you hit shallow water, obviously you'll be down near the bottom, and you find a little transition where it goes from shallow and falls off a shelf into a deeper run. And then your nymph and your emerger, it rides right just a couple feet below the surface. And when you watch fish actively feed, there's many times when they're in that emerging phase, when they're eating those emergers, those fish aren't on the bottom. They're elevated off the bottom. They're suspended in the mid-water column. And um, that's just a great way to go. Uh, you know, another thing with the hopper itself is, and all the terrestrials you mentioned, beetles and ants. I love fishing in Rocky Mountain National Park. And this is true throughout the state, whether you're on the, the streams. I know you're going to talk to us a little bit about some of the water right in the Denver metro area. But also, you know, the high mountain streams, it's amazing you do, how big of a terrestrial a small trout will take. Oh, their eyes get bigger than their stomachs for sure. <laughs> it makes it so fun. Um, and and they're explosive hits. And like you said, you don't need to be delicate. You don't want to be delicate. You want you want that thing to plop as it hits the water. And um, when you watch a real grasshopper fall, in the, whether it's a lake or a river, watch him. And you'll see his legs kicking hard, and that thing is trying to swim back to the bank. And that just rings the dinner bell for these fish. Um, there's times especially down low on the South Platte. If you guys are ever down to your deckers, look at some of the overhanging willows on that river. And you want to talk about a perfect place to either, one, throw that hopper, but two, throw that ant pattern. Um, if you go right underneath these overhanging willows, that's it's just tremendous opportunity for you. Now, you mentioned uh, the Platte fishing well. I'm 
all the way through. And some of the lower flows might make it a little more technical. I want to talk about a couple other opportunities before we run out of time. One is the Colorado River. We'll save that, come back to that, because it's had some problems and it's getting better. But there's some other rivers through town. You know, a lot of people are back at work. Kids are back in school, and they only have a couple hours. What about things like Kerr Creek and Bear Creek and some of those places? Yeah, go fishing. This is the time again for those. Um, You know, as we start shifting into this fall season, uh, Clear Creek is one of our favorite fisheries. Um, There is fish from down near Golden all the way up near Georgetown, um, all the way through. And it's just so perfect when... Hey, you know, I'm getting off of work. I have a couple hours to kill tonight. And you go up there and you throw nothing but dry flies. Throw a lot of elk hair caddis in the evenings or, um, you know, a little smaller tractor dry flies. And it's just Clear Creek is a very underrated river, I think. And, and the state's done so much to really develop that as a great trout fishery. And they've done a fantastic job there. Um, you know, Waterton Canyon right now. Waterton Canyon could be another good option. Uh, Bear Creek, we know, has been fishing all right. You know, Bear Creek has had a little lower flows all summer, and so, you know, we're still having little water temperature stuff here and there, especially on hot days. Um, and so on Bear Creek, I, I try to hit that a little earlier or later in those evenings. Um, and, yeah, it's good stuff. It's a lot of good local options right now. There really are. Now let's talk about the Colorado. There were some, that whole area, the whole drainage, all the way from Granby all the way down to Grand Junction at times, the Colorado River got low flows, it got warm water there were there were voluntary and i believe some mandatory but for sure some voluntary closures the flows weren't what they want to be yet these cool nights i would think would be starting to change that kick it off and we're starting to approach one of my favorite times of the year and that's brown trout with streamers but take me what's going on in the colorado yeah so the colorado we've been focusing a lot of our time on the upper colorado um up near the town of partial and down below the town of kremlin and what we're seeing is it's one, you're dead on right, Terry. It's been a tough year, um, and it's been a tough year for a lot of drainages all over Colorado. But the Colorado, uh, well, it had a really tough year in terms of water temperatures and low flows, as you mentioned. Right now, a lot of the tailwaters of the rivers that dump into the Colorado are flowing really good. And so that's made the temperatures cool off and the water flows come up a little bit. Um, and as we get in the fall, the more of those cold nights that we get, that's going to help keep those temperatures in the water down. It's going to keep the brown trout really active, keep the rainbows fired up. Um, and it's awesome. The hatches out on the Colorado in the fall time are so good. And then there's times you don't even need to worry about matching a hatch. Throw a streamer, throw a woolly bugger. And those brown trout are so aggressive. Um, it's some of the best feel you have in fly fishing. And that Colorado River is tailor-made for that. You're exactly right. I've I've floated the Colorado a few times, and and as you know, my background, I was also a bass and walleye fisherman. And when we take those big streamers, we fire them up right to the shore from the drift boat, and then just yeah. start stripping. And, and it's almost like fishing an artificial presentation for bass, the same type of thing. And they get just explosive. Now, that's probably not quite taking off yet, So, but when it does, you just don't want to miss that. But if you were heading up, Let's take a couple places. To, and you're going to go today or tomorrow. There's no Broncos game. A lot of people want to get out. Would you fish yeah. the Colorado? Would you fish the Platte? Would you fish in town? Where would you go? If I was fishing today and had the rest of the day, I'd stick on the South Platte. Um, Deckers, you know, everybody talks about Deckers being so crowded, and it is. There's heavy crowds, especially on the weekends. 
but there's over 17 miles of river. And we've been starting to focus a lot on those bottom five, six miles of Deckers. And holy cow, Terry, you should see these browns. They are so beautiful down there. Um, and so I would definitely, if you had fishing today, go take a look at lower Deckers. Um, if I was going to go out tomorrow, had the whole day, and I could get an early start, I'd head up to the Colorado just because it's just a little bit longer of a drive, but um, it's well worth your time. Um, this time of year, you want those fish are moving pretty actively in the water, so you don't want to stay in one spot. Whether you're at Deckers or where you're on the Colorado, you want to keep your feet moving. If you're in a run and it's not producing, don't stay there. Move, and you'll find the fish. All right, my friend, if people want more information or they want to get a hold of you guys or go to one of your classes, how do they find you? Yeah, you know, give us a call up here at the shop. We're the Blue Quill Angler. We're up here in Evergreen. It's just about 25 minutes outside the city. Um, you can reach us at 303-674-4700. And it could be anything from like, hey, I'm going fishing. I don't know what flies to use. Call us. We're happy to tell you. We're happy to give you great access points in a lot of different rivers that you're going to. Um, any kind of questions on learning, call us. That's what we're here for. We always love to help. Um, and you can also find a lot of information on our website at www.bluequillangler.com. Uh, we have updated fish reports there. We have, uh, yeah, a lot of information on general fly fishing. And, you know, the big thing is please call us. Let us help you out. Come take, take a look at our shop. We have a killer crew of guys who work so hard up here and take so much pride in helping people. Um, we'd love to meet you up here. And, and Terry, thank you for the opportunity. Uh, thank you, Chris. We will talk to you again very soon. It's getting into some great fishing. We'll have We'll let you keep us posted. We'll talk to you again soon, Chris. All right, that sounds great, my friend. Take care. You bet. Chris Steinbeck from the Blue Coil Angler. We're going to take a quick time out. When we come back, we're going to talk about our hatchery system, but not the trout hatchery, on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. They've got locations up and down the front range. If you are an outdoor enthusiast, you've never been in one of Jack's Outdoor Gear stores, do yourself a favor. Just stop by, walk around, kick the tires. You're going to be amazed. Let's go to the phones. And joining us from the Ray Hatchery in Colorado is Tyler Baker. Good morning, Tyler. Good morning, Terry. How are you doing today? You know, I'm doing really well. And I know you were listening to a lot of our trout talk over there. We're headed towards the fall and the trout fishing. And I know you're interested in all fishing in Colorado. But Colorado is a uh, state with a diverse angling oper- with diverse angling opportunities from warm water species to cold water species. We ice fish, we open water fish, we have rivers. But a lot of the fishing in this state wouldn't exist without a hatchery system. And I know people think of the trout when we say that, but a lot of the others wouldn't either because we didn't have tremendous populations of warm water species. But our warm water hatchery systems have really changed that, haven't they? Absolutely, yeah, Um, especially here. We're on the Eastern Plains. I can speak for the Eastern Plains. The West Slope uh, falls into that as well as is the millions of fish that we raise for warm water go toward angling opportunities. And uh, these, these irrigation reservoirs with, you know, fluctuating water levels would not be able to naturally Uh, handle reproduction to the numbers we need in these waters out here let's talk about i know there's a couple species you raise not only for 
angling opportunity, but for other, you have other agendas with them. And we're going to talk about those in a minute, but let's just kind of talk about what are some of the species? How many species of warm water fish do you stock in Colorado? So we here at Rayfish Hatchery um, stock a large amount of species. We start the year with walleye and sawgye. We then roll into uh, striped bass for our um, striped brood stock. Uh, we do a lot of wipers. We do black crappie, red-eared sunfish, bluegill, tiger muskies. Um, we go get some pike for a couple different biologists. We do grass carp, uh, channel catfish, and, you know, here or there we might do some yellow perch in bodies of water that need them. So a lot of different species covering a lot of the, a lot of the state. Now, some species, some of them might actually be stocked as forage for larger game fish, but a lot of them are stocked for fishing opportunities. And the two that come to mind, and I know we're going to talk about some specific features in a moment, but up and down the front range, we actually have tremendous bass and uh, panfish fishing. Now, you stock most of those. Are those continually stocked? Do they become self-reproducing? How does that work? You know, some of our lakes, um, the, the goal of, let's start with panfish and, and bass for that matter, uh, the goal is to put enough fish in there that we can, yes, act, actually create a self-sustaining, reproducing system. The problem is, is in a lot of these lakes, um, you know, we're talking small front range little fishing ponds, that the, the angler pressure with so many people catching fish just doesn't really meet those expectations and a lot of our front range waters for bass panfish catfish are an every year um, stocking stocking schedule um, there's just enough people keeping those fish and and that's part of our part of our motto and our creed here you know is that we we strive to give the anglers as many opportunities to actually fish and keep fish if they want them yeah i know you mentioned uh well, before you go with that, do you have any idea of the numbers? I mean, I know some of them are stocked as very small fry, and the survival rate isn't what people would think. Some of them are stocked catchable. Some are stocked as uh, probably finger links. But how many warm water fish do we stock in a year in Colorado? Do you have any of the faintest idea? <laughs> uh, you know, I, I don't have the the closest idea. We us, us warm water guys do a lot of work together. I can tell you right now, just this year, we stocked uh, in Colorado waters over 60 million walleye. So the numbers that we actually stock are just big, big numbers. Like you said, some of those are stocked as fry, like walleye and sawgye. Um, some are, are stocked as uh, subcatchables. You know, our crappie, bluegill, red ear will be stocked as a two to three inch, what we classify as subcatchable fish. But just out of Ray Hatchery, we will stock. Uh, on a normal year, almost a half million crappie, 300,000 bluegill, and another 60 to 80,000 red ear. You know, and you mentioned a species I want to get to, and then we got to get to the, the ones we really want to talk about today, and that's catfish. I think catfish are one of the most underutilized resources in this state. In fact, we're going to talk more about that in the next segment with Jim Ramsey about the catfishing in his area. But you stock a lot of catfish, and a lot of those are stocked as almost catchable size, aren't they? Yeah, so our schedule here at uh, the Ray Hatchery is we stock 8-inch catfish. Uh, those fish are definitely um, able to be caught as soon as we put them in the water. And on an average year, 
uh, we stock only the northeast region with catfish. So, um, you know, Denver Metro North out here to the Eastern Plains. And we're stocking around 50 to 60,000 eight inch catfish in a multitude of, of lakes. And the majority of them go along the front range for the smaller um, fishing ponds. Well, in fact, you sent me a list of just lakes that are potentially going to be stocked this year. And most people in the front range have one close to their house if they want to try to catch some catfish and have some fun. And uh, I also went and looked at the angler survey. If you go look at the, um, the, the surveys, just um, go into you know, the Division of Wildlife website and, and, uh, and just do the search for uh, water lake surveys or fishery surveys. And you get these fishery surveys in the water, and they'll go back and tell you which ones were stocked when. There are catfish everywhere. Now, let's talk. There's two species. One that you stock primarily is an angling opportunity, but you use it for other purposes. And one, they, although it provides an angling opportunity, is really stocked for another purpose. And that one is the tiger muskie, which you stock. I don't, wouldn't say you stock a lot of them, but you stock them, stock them with a different purpose in mind, don't you? Yeah, so we at the Ray Hatchery, we're the only hatchery in the state that raises tiger muskies. Um, we obtain them as a very small fish from Nebraska, inch or two inch fish. We grow them up to seven inches. And at that point, um, usually this time of year, we'll probably start stocking this year's out in a couple weeks. Um, it's usually the same lakes every year. Um, we can go through a few of those, you know, around your area as well. But those fish are, we're trying, the biologists, use them as a biological control. So tiger muskie are an incredible fish. They're sterile. We don't have to worry about natural reproduction. Um, and we can target, you know, the bigger sucker, bigger carp, bigger non-game fish species to hopefully use them to try and clean up a lake and provide, you know, an opportunity to catch a 40, 40 plus inch fish. Yeah, that's really amazing. Cause you, if you put 50, tiger muskies in a lake you're not going to get 100 you're going to have 50 or less because obviously there's some some that will die so you totally can control they're not going to overrun the lake yet they clean up some of those the biomass that's competing with the game fish and at the same time you get this opportunity to catch the fish of a lifetime and you sent me a list and it's it is a lot of them but if there was a couple maybe that you'd point to that you've stocked a lot over the years where would you go yeah, so, um, you know, in your area, uh, up around the Fort Collins area, if I had to, to shoot somebody in a direction, um, we've for years been putting quite a few fish into Gross and Barker Reservoir, both um, up above Boulder. Um, another one that's kind of new on the list that will, I think, be good is called Pinewood Reservoir. It's in Larimer County. Um, By the way, I caught probably, a 42-inch yeah. muskie in Pinewood. <laughs> there's there's starting to be some good population in there but probably overall the biggest um the biggest lakes that we hear about and put the most fish in would be um probably clear creek yeah probably clear creek reservoir um and we do put them in antero reservoir now antero is known for its great trout fishing and and rightfully so but we also have some really healthy uh tiger muskies that are growing down in antero now, we're running out of time. I wanted to spend more time on wipers, but wipers are similar in the fact that they're sterile, and you can stock them in lakes 
for to help control, but you also stock them a little more as a um, an angling opportunity also, don't you? Absolutely. Um, wipers are a wonderful angling opportunity. Any any uh, warm water fisherman will tell you they're one of the best pound for pound fighting fish and they get large. I mean, white, it's not uncommon to catch 15, 20 pound wipers. Uh, but the, the main reason we put them in some, most of these irrigated uh, reservoirs on the Eastern Plains is they're, they're a predominantly one of the only fish we can stock that can target those large gizzard shad and reduce gizzard shad, sucker, carp populations. They're just an apex predator. And if we're having trouble with, you know, especially gizzard, large gizzard shad, that's, that's a, a means of, of thinning them out. Tyler, we are out of time, but what a great uh, what a great b- bunch of knowledge to tell us about not only the opportunities but some of the management practices that are used. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you, Terry, and thanks for the opportunity. You bet. That's Tyler Baker with the Ray Hatchery. We're going to take a quick time out, and we're going to take you to a few reservoirs where you can catch some of the very fish we were talking about on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear, 65 years of serving the outdoor public. Let's go to the phones, and joining us uh, from Colorado Parks and Wildlife is biologist Jim Ramsey. Good morning, Jim. Good morning, Terry. How are you this morning? Doing well. What a great transition, uh, uh, coming off what uh, Tyler was talking about, if people, there's probably people, we have so many new anglers who weren't aware of all these opportunities, and there's a lot of them that were, but weren't sure where to go, and you've got some answers for them. Now, we're not going to sugarcoat it. You're in a part of the state that sees some pretty drastic water fluctuations, so maybe we should start there a little bit. The crown jewel down where you're at, the big lake that everybody wonders about is John Martin. Uh, what's the story down there? Yeah, so John Martin has been uh, used a lot for irrigation, um, and that's the primary use of that lake irrigation. Uh, CPW does own a little bit of water for a permanent pool that prevents the lake from going dry and the use of all the irrigation water, but the lake is definitely lower than it has been in several years. Um, There's still boat access out there. Uh, the the low water ramp that's closest to the dam is still in use, but uh, the park right now is advising anglers, uh, don't bring your big boat, bring a smaller boat, uh, make it easier to launch. Uh, You can still get on the water, and there's still good depths, but the lake is definitely uh, smaller than you're used to. Uh, It's it's not big John right now. It's kind of medium-sized John, I would say. How's the fishing? I mean, what a diverse lake of a fishery of, I mean, you've got sogai, walleye, crappie, white bass, catfish, um, and just a number of species and drum. What's the fishing like? So, you know, we're kind of in the dog days of summer and we're definitely seeing the summer doldrums in the fishery. Um, fishing can be kind of slow during the heat of the day, but anglers, you know, that get out first light in the morning and then fish again towards evening, the last light there, the last bite of the day, uh, are doing pretty good. But like I said, uh, the middle of the day is kind of tough, especially, you know, we've had 100-degree temperatures down here steady for the last week. So it's it's kind of slowed the fishing down a little bit. Now, we're going to talk about some other lakes and some other species, but I want to stay on John Martin for a little bit because you heard me talking um, with Tyler about catfish that are stocked and are there, there are prevalent species in so many of our waters. 
And yet I think they're an underappreciated and underused resource. And John Martin is one of the places that has a tremendous catfish population. And you allow some different ways to fish for them. Tell me about that. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, John Martin has three species of catfish that are, are game fish. Uh, with channel cat, blue cat, and flathead catfish, which are uh, kind of a rare species in Colorado. There's only a couple waters where an angler can catch a flathead. And uh, as you mentioned, besides normal conventional angling methods with rod and reel, uh, some of the waters down here in southeast Colorado allow for some some different methods, such as uh, trot lines and jug fishing. And I encourage anglers to try trot line and jug fishing. It's a real fun way to catch catfish and it can be very effective. Um, There are several regulations regulating uh, these methods and they're all listed in in the fishing brochure. It's a pretty lengthy list so I don't want to take the time to go over all the regulations but I encourage any angler that wants to try trot lines or jug fishing to get a copy of the brochure, look on page 8 and and they're all spelled out there uh, pretty plain for the anglers to to, uh, be able to participate in trot line and jug fishing. Now, I'll quickly say jug fishing, you said, and trot line fishing, you set out lines that you have to check so often, but you don't necessarily have to be there. And you can have a number of them baited, and then you go back. And if you want to see some jug fishing, if you go to my YouTube channel, Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom, I never, I didn't even realize we had jug fishing opportunities in Colorado. But I did a show down in Texas on Lake Fork where we did some jug fishing. And you can get an idea what it's like before you go down and try it. So go to my YouTube channel. But Jim, before we move on to some of the other waters and opportunities, you get some pretty good size catfish and pretty good numbers out of John Martin? Yes, it's it's excellent. It has an excellent cat fishery. Um, I think uh, for several years, John Martin had a state had the state record. Uh, I tease Carrie Tucker. She's my counterpart at Pueblo Reservoir, and she's she's stolen all my state records over the last few years from Pueblo. But there still are some really good uh, catfish in John Martin. Uh, some flatheads up over 30 pounds. Some blue cats up and channel cats that exceed 20 pounds. So there's there's some really nice fish. Uh, you know, when a guy sets a trot line or a jug. It's got to be built fairly substantial to hold some of these bruisers. <laughs> I've yeah. I've set some trot lines myself and go out there the next day, and my hooks are just straight as an arrow because I had a big fish on there, and, and I didn't have enough strength on my hooks to hold them because there's some, like I said, there's some really big fish in these waters. Oh, and they're so powerful. Real quick, I want to move on to a couple others, but how are the white bass? A lot of times you get schooling white bass down on John Martin this time of the year. Is there is there still a decent white bass opportunity? So the white bass numbers have declined a little bit with the reduced lake size, but there's still a lot of white bass in John Martin. And like you said, they the shad have hatched, so we've got these huge schools of young young of the year shad that are swimming around and they're they school up and on a calm day you can just see these huge schools of shad on the surface and if you watch them closely sometimes you'll just see schools of white bass and wipers will just start busting these shad from the bottom and then the seagulls will start hitting them from the top so you've got this we call them boils wiper or white bass boils and if an angler can get in one of those uh the finishing is phenomenal they'll hit they'll hit anything that you throw into the boil anything that's moving they're going to hit it and i've got i've got into some of these boils personally and you know it's it's easy to catch 
20, 30 fish in a, in a short amount of time. No, it's just a phenomenal way to fish it. So much fun. We only have a couple minutes left, but there's a couple other opportunities. I'm just going to let you, what's going on at something like the Noshi Queens and maybe Negrande? Just give us a quick update. So those, those lakes are at the Queen State Wildlife Area, just south of Eads, north of Lamar, um, three lakes. They're all a little bit low. Uh, they're all irrigation lakes, and they're all a little bit low this year, but uh, anglers can still get on Ninoshi fairly easy. Uh, Queens and Negrande are a little bit more difficult. I'm, I'm recommending guys use hand launch kayaks or belly boats or even wade out you know, and fish those lakes. Uh, Ninoshi, I, like I said, you can still boat fairly easily. Uh, fishing is excellent, especially, you know, we're highlighting catfish today. Those are some of the better catfish lakes in the area. Uh, and, you know, we talked about how hot it is during the day. Catfish is an excellent species to pursue at night. They bite real well at night. Sometimes I think they even bite better at night. And anglers can catch them all night long. Uh, it's fun to go out there and just kind of hang out and and fish all night long and, and, you know, bait up your line for catfish and maybe set a trout line or throw out a few jugs. It's, it's a good way to catch catfish. And we didn't want to ignore, we're out of time, but we didn't want to ignore some of the other species, though. You have some great crappie fishing down there, some great sawgye fishing. And just, I think it's just check before you go, see if the boat landings are open. If they're not, there are shore fishing opportunities on some of the lakes. Some of them are more difficult, but you can always hand launch. And they're just great opportunities. Jim, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Terry. I enjoyed it. You bet. Jim Ramsey from Parks and Wildlife. So great opportunities down there. And by the way, I meant that. Go to my YouTube channel, Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom. Go to the Lake Fork one on jug fishing. When you see the jug fishing, you're going to want to go down there and do it. It's just crazy and fun. We're going to take a time out. When we come back, we're going to change things up as uh, Dan Coyle is going to join us from uh, – U.S. Fish and Wildlife, we're going to talk about some migratory bird regulations on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan. Let's go to the phones, and joining us from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service is Special Agent Dan Coyle. Good morning, Dan. Good morning, Terry. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. You know, we've got, when COVID hit, a lot of people went outdoors that have either haven't been outdoors before, they haven't been hunters or anglers, or they're going back to something they did in their youth and they're rejuvenating it. And there's been changes in regulations. A lot of them don't know not only where to get started, but how to get started, but they also wonder about some of the regulations. So I thought with the migratory bird season starting i thought it'd be great to have you on and we'll go through some of these questions and one that comes up first is dove hunting i think if you're a new hunter or if you're taking a youth out that dove hunting can be you you don't need a lot of extra gear all you really need is some patience and a a few extra shotgun shells and you can really kind of get into dove hunting so i thought we'd start with that and dove hunting is really popular in colorado isn't it it is it, uh, across Colorado and, and even through the Midwest. Um, it's a you know it's the first migratory bird season to open up and it's nice warm weather to get out and so I, yeah I highly encourage it if if you have left the sport for a few years to to get back into it or try and try it again or if you've never done it 
uh, best way to get out of the house and and uh, in nice warm weather. So it really is, and you don't need a lot of extra gear. What are some of the things, though, from a regulation standpoint or from rules that I probably should know before I start to get ready for dove hunting? Uh, good question. You know the. Rules and regulations uh, that are, are set by uh, the federal regulation structure, and so they're pretty much the same in in most states. And the the basics that you really want to uh, pay attention to before you go out is that you have the proper license for the state in which you are hunting. Uh, make sure you've got any habitat stamps or uh, hip permit endorsements that that you need from that state that you're in and then uh legal hunting hours look at um uh, this is what trips some people up is the is the legal hunting hours and migratory bird uh, hunting hours start a half hour before sunrise and go to sunset so bird hunters that, that hunt pheasants or quail those can be different hours, but, but federal migratory birds, whether it's waterfowl or, or doves, start a half hour before sunrise and end at sunset based on where you're at uh, in the state. And the states do a great job in their, in their hunting brochures and in lining out times uh, where sunrise and sunset occur in, at your location. And well, then, you know, um, go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say that when you have um, starting early and going till almost dusk, sometimes it can be hard to identify birds. Is that right? Yeah, that's what I wanted to offer was really to be careful in that first half hour um, of of, uh, before sunrise, which is the legal shooting time, that especially on a cloudy morning, it can be pretty dark. Uh, for for the first 15 to 20 minutes or more. And so I, I uh, caution everyone, just, just look at the conditions the morning that you're hunting and because it can be hard to identify. Yes, uh, we're all excited, especially opening morning and or our first day out. But uh, I, would, I would ask you to take, take that extra time um, to make sure you can clearly identify the birds that you're, that you're hunting. You know, and we're going to talk a little later about some waterfall, and that really can come into play there. Um, you know, with doves, there is another dove that's available in Colorado that um, offers opportunity year-round, and that's the collared or Eurasian dove. Tell us about that. Yeah, so um, that has grown in, in numbers and in popularity here in the last five, ten years, and those birds are not federally regulated. So U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, we do not have federal regulations pertaining to those. The, the, but the main thing you would need to take into consideration if you're in an area that has these doves is they can be, if you leave them fully feathered, according to uh, Colorado regulations, if you leave them fully feathered, you can have them in addition to the morning dove limit. But if you clean the bird and, and leave no evidence of species uh, left on the bird, then it would count towards your uh, morning dove limit. So it really can be a bonus out there when, when you're hunting. 
and they're both excellent table fare. People haven't eaten them. And the, the collar doves are not regulated because they're an invasive species. Now, you don't find them as much in the same places, but where there's more grain and a little closer to where people, you'll find them. And, and boy, we encourage, actually, the harvest of those along with your morning doves. Now, that you mentioned daily limits and how that applies. You know, if I hunt doves, say, in Colorado and Kansas, I'm by the border. Now, these are federally regulated limits. So how does that affect my limit if I, if I hunt in two states? Yeah, uh, we get this question a fair amount because Colorado borders Kansas, which can be uh, very good dove hunting, and then Colorado bordering Nebraska, which also can be very good dove hunting. And so these are, are, are federally uh, set by regulation, set limits. And so you can, you can only take one daily limit of these birds, whether it's waterfowl or morning doves. So uh, if you hunt, in a, let's say, hunt Kansas, have a spot in Kansas that you hunt in the morning, the limit is 15 for morning doves. We'll, we'll, we'll talk specifically about doves. So the limit is 15. You cannot, uh, if you get 15 in the morning in Kansas, then you cannot hunt Colorado or Nebraska or anywhere else in the afternoon. But if you hunted Kansas in the morning and let's say you harvested 10, 10 morning doves, you could come to Colorado in the afternoon and hunt and, and harvest the additional or hunt the five birds to get your, to your uh, 15 bird limit. So it is a daily, uh, daily limit. And uh, it applies, that applies whether you hunt in multiple states or one state. All right. And that's established by your agency, and that's a federal limit, uh, depending on that. And also, we're going to run out of time. I want to touch a couple of things pretty quickly. One is you kind of touched on it. So the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service does national regulations. Are they different than some of the local regulations, or is there some local regulations in addition to those? Yeah, so the migratory bird regulations, yes, are set by uh, uh, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife, the federal government. Most of, well, the states essentially adopt those regulations. So central flyway limits for waterfowl, uh, morning dove limits. Now, what, what states can do is be more restrictive. So uh, based on where you're hunting, if you're hunting public land, um, for example, over in Utah, the Great Salt Lake, that waterfowl season on opening day, does, by state regulation, doesn't start a half hour before sunrise. They start at, like, they start at 8 a.m. So they can be more restrictive than the feds, um, uh, and you'll see that throughout different states. They'll have different regulations, so uh, please uh, look up or call the game warden or call the uh, wildlife agency on where you're hunting to know if there are any particular regulations in the, in the place that you are going to hunt. I know we were going to get to a lot more. I probably only have time for one more question. So, And then I'm going to have to get you back on because it's really interesting. I think people enjoy this. Um, and one of the reasons, why do I need a federal stamp to hunt migratory birds? What's the purpose of that? <laughs> Yeah, the, the the federal stamp, what we call, what, what, what hunters, you and I call the duck stamp program, uh, is, is a great, one of the great conservation successes 
uh, in the country. It started in 1934, and there's we've acquired six million acres uh, using the federal duck stamp revenues. Literally, every state that has a refuge has used that money and benefited from the duck stamp dollars. And it's really the hunters. The hunters in, uh, imposed this on ourselves, where we said we want to help conservation. And so. As part of that, as part of a license to hunt waterfowl, this is, a, uh, this is one we get the question on a lot. It is required for waterfowl if you're age 16 or older as a hunter, but not for doves. So you don't need the waterfowl stamp here starting uh, on Wednesday for dove season, but you'll need it when the teal season starts. Uh, teal season in Nebraska opens on the 4th. And then teal season here in Colorado and Kansas opens on September 11th. But it's just a huge uh, success story of hunters. And non-hunters can can buy stamps as well. But 98% of that money goes into conservation easements and preserving wetlands. And so it really is at the core of what, what we as hunters do. And we are out of time, but I want to make a quick comment. The wetlands... Um, aren't only beneficial to waterfall. All species of wildlife benefit from these from these uh, these improved habitat, and they really are one of the true true success stories in conservation in the United States. Dan, we are we are out of time, but we'll get you back on again soon because we have a lot more questions to address. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Terry. I'm honored to be on your show. Appreciate it very much. You bet. Dan Coyle from U.S. Fish and Wildlife. We're going to take a quick time out. Nate Selinski is going to join us. He's going to talk some dove hunting and some big game, too, on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors and 104.3 The Fan.